Put your hand inside. Put your hand inside the puppet head. Throw the nanobots. Loads of nanobots. Throw them in the crowd. Everybody wants to rock to and a piece of string around. Signs in his eyes, there must be hundreds But look at you as if you're some kind of rhythm section water Baby, check this out I've got something to say Man, it's so loud in here Welcome to This Might Be a Podcast The song-by-song podcast about the greatest band of all time That's right, They Might Be Giants And today... Uh, I've got Matt Monta. Uh, I'm your host, Greg Simpson. I've got Matt Monta here to talk about the song Alienations for the Rich off of They Might Be Giants' debut self-titled album. This song is dedicated to all you modern-day troubadours out there, and I think I know who you are. I gotta get a job. I got to get some pay. My son's gotta go to art school He's leaving in three days And the TV's in Esperanto You know that that's a bitch But alienation's for the rich And I'm feeling a horror every day Hey, hey, hey Before we get started proper, just a little mailbag segment, and I love that you guys are giving me stuff to, uh, content to put in a mailbag segment, so, uh, I didn't think about that when I was recording, like, months and months ahead of episodes. We recorded Alienation uh, at least a month ago. First, I'll play, uh, Spencer's voicemail, because he, <laughs> he <laughs> gets his opinions at the top of every episode. Here is Spencer, uh, uh talking about... Dr. Worm episode. Hello, Greg, and other giant head people things. Uh, Spencer here again, week number three, Dr. Worm. Uh, again, great job, guys. Um, it was a lot of fun to, to uh, hear you talk about Dr. Worm and um, learn more about you guys and your band and your musical history. I thought that was really cool, and also to hear all those covers. I, I didn't really do much research. I haven't had time to, like, read up on the wiki or anything about Dr. Worm, but I think you probably covered that. Um, I just listened to the song again, like, four times in a row just to uh, remind myself again, um, what do I have to say? I just thought the music is great, and I, the lyrics are a lot of fun and goofy. I also kind of always took it um, more on the literal side of he's a worm who plays the drums. Um I have to admit something that I feel really stupid about. I always thought he said Rabbi Bull as like a bull with horns. And I'm sure I read the lyrics at some point, but I completely missed the fact that he says Rabbi Bull. Um, and I just feel really stupid about that. Um, but now the, uh, the rhyme with the next line where he says soul makes a lot more sense. Um, and I... I'm wondering, do voles eat worms? Again, I, I haven't done any research. I, I didn't have time to do that, but I'm wondering if voles eat worms, and if they do, uh, that's just a weird a weird uh, thing that they threw in there. Musically, the song is 
so much fun, high energy. The horns are great. That's a, that's another one of the things. I always love the horns, and I know you guys said you like that too. This is another song where the, the musical style changes slightly um, every every section. After the, the sort of bass solo, um, I just love the fact that for that last note, they threw in what sounds like a tuba to play that last note. The horns at the end are just all throughout, but especially the trumpet for like those last four or five measures um, is just amazing work, as you guys mentioned. I also love how uh, the music just completely drops out about two-thirds of the way through the song, and it's just, it's just a really cool effect. And then when the music comes back in, it starts off with the bass doing not a slide, but um, I, I don't know whatever the musical term for it would be. It's just a cool bass thing that it does. It just kind of goes, boo, um, and I just love that. Uh, anyway, great job. Looking forward to next week. Bye. Thanks for your message, Spencer. Uh, that that low note actually it's uh, it's not a tuba; it's just a trombone. Dan uh, Levine, who has played on a lot of the Mighty Giants stuff, um, it's a it's a low C sharp, which really he could he could go even lower than that. It's it's a low note; it's not a super low note, but the way he kind of blats it out and he's got good tone, I, I could see how you'd be confused that it's a tuba. But yeah, just uh, trombone. Okay, let's jump to the miscellaneous tea group. Let's see uh, what you guys were saying on there. Post about the Dr. Worm episode. Matt Curtis, once again, says, I did not know about Dr. Love, the Kiss song. We played a little bit of that. And then he said, I would say you and your guests seem to have a pretty good rapport. And I said, I'm glad it was clear that my wife and I have a good rapport. He said, some couples don't. That sounds sad to me. And he said, I love your Dr. Worm cover. Following Outdoor Valor now. And he went ahead and liked our Facebook page. So that was uh, pretty awesome of him. And uh, then also about our our cover, our Outdoor Valor cover. We got some good uh, feedback about that too. And a lot of likes on that. (laughs) I said, it's got the Curtis seal of approval. He said, certified fresh, the little tomato. Like Rotten Tomatoes. Definitely one of my favorite TMBG covers. And I'm like, dang, dude. <laughs> he didn't just say Dr. Worm covers. He said they might be Giants covers. And then uh, here's a miscellaneous tier with a name I'm probably going to mispronounce, and I apologize in advance. Um, a Polish member from Warsaw, uh, Maciej Taubert. Ma- Maciej Taubert. Uh, said, the Rabbi Vol solo and the bongo part are my favorites. And so many spacey sounds, not to mention the whistles and bells, which I'm sure is a reference to uh, Birdhouse. Leaving out the whistles and bells. And I said, glad you like it. It's actually congas, not bongos. It's bongos on the original. I, I had to take it up a notch. The Rabbi Vol solo and the spacey sounds are from my... Uh, I have a 1982 Roland Juno 60 that I've had since college. It's an analog synth, and I said I bet Linnell would approve of my taste in synths. And then we had uh, another international user from, I believe, Norway. Uh, Henrique Gorgias said, I still have to listen to the podcast episodes, but I was so pleased to see the notification of an 80-minute discussion of Dr. Worm. And I'm hoping that 
Henry K. might come on an episode of the pod. I want to have more international listeners, and maybe uh, Masiej will as well. In fact, let me let, let me ask him right now. Would you like to be on an episode? I am uh, heavily Polish in my my DNA. Uh, I'd like to, uh, I'd love to have someone in Poland on here though. One of us would probably have to record it in like the middle of the night. <laughs> us uh, miscellaneous tears all over the world unite. Uh, then on Twitter, uh, a lot of good engagement. I'll tell you, I'll leave it overnight without checking my mentions and get like twelve notifications and. That is awesome and makes me feel loved. A lot of good discussion going on here. So if you're not following us at This Might Be a Pod on Twitter, uh, let's see. Well, here, of course, we had a, we got Spencer's always uh, jumping in. We're having good conversations. On my post about the episode, my tweet about the episode, Spencer says, good stuff. I shall be calling in later. <laughs> I said, I was counting on it. Spencer says, if I didn't, you'd probably get worried about me. And I said, I'd dispatch the police to your house to check on your well-being. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else? It takes me a long time to scroll through. Uh, Dana Williamson, a miscellaneous tier, is following us on Twitter now. And uh, she posted a really cool uh, violin cover of um, Linnell's solo EP, House of Mayors, which... How have I never heard this? So thank you, Dana, for for informing me about a piece of They Might Be Giant stuff I haven't heard. John Lennell's Processional Number 3, a violin cover that she did. is very good. So check that out on YouTube, Dana Williamson. Uh, and uh, his EP, House of Mayors, sounds like that needs to be uh, in a Patreon episode. So patreon.com slash this might be a podcast. If you donate even $2, you'll be getting episodes early. We released this alienation episode four days, five days early for Patreon subscribers. And uh, then you'll also, if you donate at least $5, you'll be getting exclusive episodes once a month. And I think the first one is going to be about uh, some songs off of state songs. And I think Spencer might be the one to be on that. I was tweeting a little bit with the Elkline Trio song by song podcast, As You Were, As You Were Pod on Twitter. And uh, I was talking to them about the Blink-155 pod. And I said that last episode I mentioned uh, Blink-155 pod at the top of the show so we don't face their wrath like the As You Were pod, Alkaline Trio pod, did not acknowledge the Blink pod's existence. It's like a whole uh, friendly uh, arch nemesis kind of thing with all us song-by-song podcasts. And uh, so we were talking a little bit. I said, uh, they said, well, we, we... We outright said we stole this idea from Blink, and I said, well, Alkaline Trio is way better than Blink, so take comfort in that fact. And as you were said, we will not rest until there is a song recap podcast for every band. And I just found out there is a Weird Al song-by-song podcast called The Weird Alphabet, and I just started listening to that, so uh, you should check that out. I was also tweeting a little bit about thoughts about the Escape team and the John Henry demos. And, of course, my murdered remains. So get on Twitter if you want to have some convos about that. I'm on there a lot more than on uh, the Facebook because Facebook is very frustrating. If any of you run Facebook pages, you know that the algorithms keep all of your fans from seeing your posts unless you boost them by paying money. So screw that. All right, so that'll about do it for the mailbag segment. So, um, yeah. If you got thoughts about this coming episode, Alienations for the Rich, 
and my guest, Matt Monta, who does an awesome job, as you will see, uh, guesting and talking about Alienation, one of his favorite songs you will see. You can tweet at us at this might be a pod, email us this might be a pod at gmail.com, uh, comment or mention us on Facebook, facebook.com slash this might be a podcast, and then head to Patreon, patreon.com slash this might be a podcast to get the episodes early, uh, to be able to vote in polls about certain things like topics of exclusive episodes, and hear those exclusive episodes for only $5 a month. Yeah. Make it, uh, uh, force me to keep doing this podcast weekly and at the clip I've been going. I'd like to keep doing at the clip I've been, been going. So, uh, give me a little of your change. I greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much to the people that have donated already. Okay. Now back to Alienations for the Rich. Let's do it. Well, I ain't feeling happy about the state of things in my life. But I'm working to make it better with a six of Miller High Hey, Matt. Hi, How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. This podcast has been in the works for a while, and then uh, we had a baby over here, so it kind of got shelved, but I'm excited to finally be doing this. We've been talking about it for a while, and um, first, why don't you tell our listeners how... Did you first get into They Might Be Giants? What's your history with the band? Well, I had the uh, great benefit and great misfortune of being the youngest child with two older sisters. Um, So aside from being ceaselessly tortured by them, uh, (laughs) (laughs) they also, um, you know, somehow brought in really cool music. Um, They had uh, just really cool tapes and um, I mean it was, it was it was cassettes back then so they didn't really have CDs but they'd, they'd have these cassette tapes like Nine Inch Nails they had uh, Elvis Costello um, are we talking like early 90s here yeah I mean it's, it's, it's yeah early 90s I'd say so but they would always just have really interesting stuff my oldest sister Nikki made me a mixtape with like a bunch of B-52 stuff on it. I never heard anything besides Love Shack before. And so like Channel Z blew my mind because it's like there are other B-52 songs. <laughs> and so their first album is some of the weirdest, greatest new wave, I guess you'd call it. I don't know. It, their early stuff is amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. And so, you know, as you m- might suspect, uh, They Might Be Giants was one of those um bands that my sisters kind of just knew about. And I never really knew how they found out about any of the bands. Uh, I mean, I guess they might be giants had like a couple music videos and stuff, but um, I'm guessing it was just from other friends at school and they were, you know, each three and six years older than me. Uh, So I, I just was there and they'd say, let's listen to this. And they put on, (laughs) they might be giants and Uh, we'd listen to it uh, all the time. Quick question. Where did you um, Where did you grow up? You live in Columbus, Ohio, right now. Where did you grow up? Well, I'm living in Richmond, Virginia, right now at the moment. Oh wait, man, I can't keep up with you. I know we're just bouncing I forgot around because uh, Christina got a new job. I forgot about yes, that. Yes, yes. So we're out in Richmond, Virginia, but yeah, from Columbus, Ohio. But I grew up near Dayton, Ohio, which for you listeners, non Midwest and international, 
is about an hour west of Columbus, which is in the center of the state of Ohio. So, um, growing up in Dayton, well, the reason I wanted to ask that, it's not like you grew up in some cultural mecca. Some, It's not like you grew up in Brooklyn or something like that. So, in Dayton, Ohio, they might be Giants Head infiltrated uh, the mid-sized Midwestern cities uh, as well. So your sisters sound like uh, they were pretty cool. You know, they, they are pretty cool. Uh, we, they, we all kind of like different things, uh, but, you know, it's, it's pretty fun to, you know, talk with them about music. They're both very musical, too, uh, in their own in their own right. And so, uh, you know, it's always, and, and, and being younger is always sort of fun because it's like they just, these things just magically appear. And it's, you know, before the internet, you just, you feel like, what is chess piece face? Like, what, what <laughs> is this? And what are they talking about? And, you know, some of it was kind of scary. And it's like, is this like some arcane message that I'm just receiving as an individual. Like that's, it sort of made you feel special that you were getting something that other people didn't get. Cause I, I can't imagine that many other, you know, fourth graders or whatever were, you know, learning the lyrics to hideaway folk family or anything like that on their family vacations. Right. I mean, I didn't get into them till maybe 14 or 15. So as like a nine or 10 year old, that's yeah. even a whole other thing. Cause, cause then most nine or ten year olds are still only hearing the most popular stuff, like what, especially back then, what was on the radio, because people listened to the sure. radio then. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine hearing something like, I mean, Rabbit Child. We will talk about on a later episode, but Rabbit Child, Chess Piece Face. I mean, I go through that that self titled album, and these days, I. Sometimes I don't think about how weird the songs are just because they've been with me for so right. long. But imagining hearing them as a nine or ten year old, uh, that kind of the the weirder tracks on the album, and there are a lot of weird ones on the first album, uh, had to just be like almost creepy, like Rabbit Child in particular. Yeah. I mean, we had Flood, so we listened to that to no end um, uh, as kids as well. I mean, that was like a state. Like I could probably. If you prompt me with the first lyric of the album, I could probably sing the whole thing for you in one in one sure. go. I'm I'm not I'm that familiar yeah. with that record, um, and it was. I mean, they might be giants. Is for all intents and purposes a weird band. Like their stuff is fairly unconventional. I mean, I think once you get later on into like Factory Showroom and and John Henry and stuff, there's there's a little more. It steers a little more towards, you know more pop instead of avant-garde and granted they still have that that core but right. um you know that early stuff it's it's unlike anything you've ever heard or will hear probably ever again yeah that that first that first album is really hard to categorize like you like art rock maybe you'll hear people call it post-punk which um they those the two johns you know grew up listening to some punk stuff and new wave stuff but like would you call them a punk band i mean they're punk in like ethos i guess in that they really wanted to be not like anything else and the songs are short they're weird they get loud but they're hard to 
nail down. I mean, even today, but on that first album, even harder to categorize. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it is tough because they it's. I think the greater appreciation one can have, aside from listening to them, is to try to play the songs, which we have done together. Yes, we have, uh, and it's a lot harder than it than it sounds. Uh, because they make their progressions and rhythms sound so natural. Uh, I remember when we got together, I was like, oh, how hard can this possibly be? <laughs> and it was a lot harder and a lot more challenging and more rewarding when you figure it out. But, you know, uh, their their stuff is so, um, so complex and, and the attention to detail is um, is incredible that you, you sort of take for granted the level of skill uh, and talent that they have. You, you know it's there and you hear it, but uh, you don't know to the extent until maybe you try to play it or if you study music, you know, you, you, can, right. you can listen to it that way. Yeah, I, I came across um, some old recordings from college. Now I'm talking like, so I've, you know, I've got a music ed degree and I had to take all these classes um like every music major had to take these composition classes and so we'd have these assignments and early on either freshman or sophomore year we had assignments um on theme and variations and so basically just like the name says you know you'd have an inspirational um theme like most composers they would be an original theme and then as as the piece progresses uh, they would basically just be playing with that theme and doing all sorts of things with it. But we would take, we were allowed to take themes that we already knew. So I did a theme of variations on Dr. Worm because, <laughs> again, this is the kind of kid I am. And so figuring out the song Dr. Worm, which later Outdoor Valor covered, we, we've um, already played that cover in a previous episode, figuring out how hard these songs are, like, key changes that you weren't aware were there initially just because they so seamlessly uh, transition from one to the next. Um, and like the range of instruments, like to actually get to Alienations for the Rich um, on the uh, They Might Be Giants wiki, it talks about how Flansburg, Flansburg's voice extends from a D to, that's the octave, a D, D to, to a B flat five in this song, as well as a B flat four, even without falsetto. So he's demonstrating well over three octaves of vocal range. Which song, Doctor Worm? In Alienations oh. for the Rich. Oh yeah. So you and I, uh, under the band name Exquisite Dead Guys, along with our friend uh, Jerome Hammersbach, who's going to be on an episode as well. Um, he's gonna, he's going to do the Mesopotamians. Nice. <laughs> um, we performed Alienations for the Rich, and you sang lead on this one. Uh, So to actually get into this song and how difficult this song is, despite sounding just kind of like a weird country song, um, how was it, uh, you know, undertaking that vocal range on this this song? Uh, You don't when you hear the song recorded, you don't know the, 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 the span of the range. So when we started playing it, I think in the key, um, I was like, because when I'm when I'm learning a song, I'm like, well, what's the most important part of the song, and how can I put it into a key where I can sing that part really well? Um, yeah, you know, and, and and you are a very advanced um, 
I mean, you 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 perform quite a lot solo as well as with your band, Matt Monta and the Haymakers, sure. or as I call them, Matt Monta and the Haberdashers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you uh, have a ton of originals, but you also have a lot of covers under your belt. Sure. So you're very uh, adept at making covers your own. So did we change the key on this one? We did because it was either I couldn't hit the really high part and if we moved it down, I couldn't hit the really low part. Uh, and I think, uh, <laughs> I can't remember if we did it, if it was like originally written in D or if it was originally written in A. Uh, I forget what it was, but I think we, I think we adjusted it slightly um, so that I could get the screaming part at the end. Because I was like, well, that big <laughs> chorus is the most important thing. And so, uh, you know, I, I couldn't, you can't sit there and be like, well, I gotta, I gotta hit this particular note because the melody's the same. It's just up an octave or two, and so yeah. uh, I, I was like, well, uh, you know, I think we set it so I could push my range on that top end, and then I just started screaming because it was the only thing. Which is pretty much what Flansburg. Absolutely, does. and so you know, I was just sort of like, how does he sing it? And I, I remember doing it like kind of even putting that affectation on the voice because it's yeah. like you can't sing it any other way really yeah Miller Highland just drinking <laughs> and driving you know <laughs> well I ain't feeling happy about the state of things in my life but I'm working to make it better with a six So here, I'm looking at the, the chords. Uh, it is in the key of A flat major. So you were like the original, uh, I think he maybe would capo sure. and do a G. You yeah. know, capo on one and do I a G. I think we might have done it in B flat. Oh, we might have done it in B flat because because my lowest like good note is a low A. So if it was A flat, it was probably a little bit harder for me to, to, to hit those low notes. So we either moved it up a, a half step or a full step. And I, I think, I can't, I can't quite remember. Because you're, 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 I mean, would you call yourself a baritone? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm guessing you have a better low range than Flansburg maybe, but... Uh... Maybe couldn't quite get to, get up to the high stuff. Well, it's yeah. I mean, I can I can hit the low A, but the thing is, is he's singing a half step below that, and it's still uh, you know it's still uh, um, um, not legible. What's the word I'm thinking? You, like you can still understand what he's saying. Yeah, and, and he's yeah. he's still hitting the note, so he's he's kind of talking like this. Gotta get mm. a job, you know. <laughs> but but as like performing it live. Like I could probably sit and record it and like, like do it after several takes, but performing it live, you know, I, I wouldn't trust myself to be able to get those low notes squared up the way that he does. Did we get a video of this song? Because I would definitely <laughs> play the audio on here if we did. Oh my I gosh, I don't know. I gotta look. Oh no. <laughs> I think I only posted one to YouTube, but I think we also had some on Facebook. Let's see. <laughs> oh, no, you don't want me to play it? Come I don't, I, don't rem I, I remember it was, everyone really liked it. I just don't remember how good it was. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to just, I mean, we were playing these at an open mic night, so there's a little more, um, 
forgiving. There's a little more forgiving nature in 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 from the crowd, especially since the crowd was mostly made up of other musicians who were about to go up there and possibly fuck up a song. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think we. I don't think we really screwed it up per se. No. Um, but just you know, we did, we had like one rehearsal on it. I think. Right. I think the only song we gave more than one rehearsal to was the Mesopotamian. Oh, man, we worked on that so much. <laughs> Very, uh, I had no idea that song was as difficult as it was. That's the thing, is, is this, the They Might Be Giant stuff doesn't sound so difficult. Like, I remember Particle Man, and I was like, I think we tried to learn to play that. I think we did play that. And it, was, it wasn't super hard, but it was harder than I imagined that it would be. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. We got a video of Particle Man. Uh, we got a lot of good pictures, thanks to uh, um, Jennifer Wells. Yes. Jimmy Ramos take some, too? I think he might have, but since it was hosted by Jason Wells, I know Jennifer yes. is there quite I know. Right. She got some of the very, um, very first good pictures of us. Yeah. At least. Here's something that Jerome uh, posted. Top ranked, they might be Giants tribute band in the Tri County. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely playing this. Because if we can, if it's there. Well, anyway, so wh- so what all did we play? We played obviously we said Particle Man, the Mesopotamians, James K. Polk, uh, Alienations for the Rich, James K. Polk. That was our hit. Climbing the walls. Yeah, that was a super cool song too. Yeah, that one, that's another later era one off Mesopotamians and that one are both off the else. I don't know if you've delved into that album anymore um, since then, but I think that was an album you were less familiar with, right? Yeah, basically after John Henry, I kind of, I kind of like checked out. I Yeah, why is that? You didn't like their full band era? No, it's not that. It's just that, you know, it... It wasn't as easy to get music, and so I just nothing really stuck for me. And a lot of where I got my music from was either the radio or from friends. And uh-huh. when you don't have a lot of friends that are in, they might be giant like they might be giants heads. It's like you know you just kind of lose track of it. If, if I had the internet, sure, twenty years ago, then maybe you know like Spotify, I probably would have kept up on a little more right, aggressively. Right. Yeah. So we've talked about the vocal range. Um, would you call this like their take on a country song? That's what I always thought it was. It always, um, it seemed like, um, it almost seemed like a parody or satire of, you know, classic country and sort of the, the themes and tropes that one expects to hear mm-hmm. um, in that genre. Right. I have no money. I have right. no money. I'm drinking a lot. My son's got to go to art school. <laughs> But that's what, like, it's little details like that 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 make the songs really interesting and weird. Because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you you think about classic country and it's like, well, we're working in the factory or we're working in the fields or we're not working at all. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is like my son has to go to art school, which <laughs> which brings to mind like a highly educated, you know, um, affluent family who's like you know trying to trying to just struggle to get by <laughs> and, and i and that's what i thought art school ain't cheap no it isn't and it's not something that if you were from 
maybe a more struggling economic class in the United States that you just be like, I'm going to, I'm the first one to go to college. I'm going to art school. Like that's <laughs> not a typical route, I think for, for, for a lot of people in general, even people from affluent, you know, uh, communities. Yeah. yeah. You really have to be, um, have accepting parents to, to, uh, you know, it's a typical story of anyone who wants to pursue music or arts or or anything sure. like that. We're like, well, there's nothing, there's no living in that. You right. know, art school. What What are you going to do for a job after that? But the, but the connotations of that, like the the like, you think about art school and you think about like pretentious college kids or or something mm-hmm. like that as a stereotype, and then you juxtapose it with this like sort of Southwestern uh, uh, country song. It's, it, 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 when you first hear it, you're like, this doesn't quite make sense, but it, it does a lot. Because <laughs> he, he has this kind of sarcastic affectation to his voice, like, this is for all you modern-day troubadours out there. I think I know <laughs> who you are. Or, yeah, that's what he said. I think I know or you think you know. Let me pull up the lyrics here. Yeah, I, I think I know who you are, which is a twist on usually be like, you know who you are, yeah. right? You modern-day troubadours, you know who you are. Yeah. Which I know who you right. are. Um, yeah, and for people that... Do people know what a troubadour is? I think most people do. Right. Like, like, like I mean, us. It's like an old We're like, like traveling, traveling, traveling musician. musicians, yeah. Right. People who try to make their living off playing music. I mean, like busking, you might call it these days. Sure. Um, whereas maybe you'd say you're being a troubadour, not necessarily a busker, but a troubadour. Right. Um, do you think I was finding some? Uh, I don't know if you've delved into the 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 wiki. You can really get it going into a wormhole here. Um, people like to speculate that the song is actually about him, sung from his dad's perspective. Like he's Flansburg is the one that's going to art school and his dad is the one that's struggling <laughs> to pay for. But I, I, I don't think that's been confirmed at all by, by Flansburg. Oh, wait, actually, here we go. Someone claims that Flansburg has occasionally jokingly attributed the song to his father, Earl. Since Flans attended the Pratt Institute, he could be the son who's got to go to art school. Um, but Flansburg and Linnell are both known to fuck with interviewers and people in general and they're always joking around you know and you're never quite sure if they're serious or not right i mean that's what i, I read that, that that he would introduce the song live when they were first playing it is like this is a song my father wrote that's what i that's what i saw on yeah the anyway. yes 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 yeah. um but his father was a successful architect not a out of work penniless drunk <laughs> Um, yeah, this was actually Alienations for the Rich was uh, played at their very first show ever before they were even known as They Might Be Giants. Do you know what they were called before they they settled on the name? That is a bit of bar trivia that I do not have an answer to. They went by the name El Grupo de Rock and Roll. (laughs) That's a very They Might Be Giants name. Right? (laughs) And apparently Flansburg even had the song before him and Linnell got together. It uh he originally wrote it in an earlier band called The Turtlenecks. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it got weirder when him and Linnell got together. Um, but really, the instrumentation in the song, you know, it's got uh, acoustic guitar. Some electric comes in during, like, the finale, you know, of the song. Right. Um, and it's got, like, I mean, it's like an organ bass made to kind of sound like an upright, you know, doom, da doom, doom, doom. But it's definitely a keyboard of some kind, right? And um, it's got some kind of, like, violin-sounding keyboards in it, too, not real violin. You know, it's definitely their Linnell's um, take on a, a country arrangement, fake violin, fake upright bass. Um, and I'm guessing that in the turtlenecks, this may have been more of a straightforward, um, you know, acoustic rock kind of sure. thing. I wish there were a version of it. I don't think they ever recorded it or if this band even put out anything. There's not very much information on it, obviously. This yeah. is, you know the early eighties and uh, they were very young. And all you got was information from rock magazines that might not have even covered them. Right. Um, Yeah. I recently found out that Linnell was in a band before they might be giants as well. What were they called? Says he played with a band called the bags, but then he was also in a band called wait, the Mundanes, who he's calling a new wave band, but again, that covers a lot of ground. So, um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, back on topic. The uh, the the message of this song has always been a little unclear to me because he's saying alienations for the rich, and obviously, the narrator of the song is not rich. Um, well, you don't know alienation that. is. Uh, go ahead, but well, we'll he talk says about he's that. got to get a job. He's got to get some pay. True, but because his son has to go to art school, and art school is very expensive. Go, go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. We'll talk about that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> I always assumed that they were very. You know, he's very low on money or running out of money, and. His son's got to go to art school is just him saying really how fucked he is because he has no money, but his son is wanting to go to art school and he doesn't have the money to pay for it. Um, But the alienations for the rich, like being alienated is not necessarily a good thing unless you're really, um, you know, kind of a hermit loner. Um, But it kind of sounds like he's saying he wants to be alienated, like alienations for the rich and I'm feeling poorer every day. Boy, I wish I was alienated. It, It... I don't know. I was just never quite able to uh, wrap my head around it um, as far as what the narrator actually wants. Obviously, he wants to get some money. Um, so does that mean he wants to be alienated? He wants to be rich and uh, alienation is for the rich? What's your take? So I've, I was listening to it again last night and, and talking through the whole, uh, the whole song, trying to like piece it together. And, and interestingly... The, the line, the TV is in Esperanto used to be, or sometimes is the TV's talk in Spanish. Uh-huh. And that changes to me significantly the meaning of the song. And I know that 
you know, you probably talk to Flansburg and he's like, this is just a, a goofy whatever. You know, that might, might be what he'd tell you. And here we're sitting here trying to un- unpack it like it's some ancient tome. Were you making Christina talk through it with you? A little bit. Yeah, we were, we were talking to it, uh, th- to, through it. Uh, but so f- for me, I was like, well, is, is it actually about money or is it about you know, existence maybe in a middle class to upper middle class society. Because with looking at Esperanto, it was a language that was created to facilitate world peace, right? And it was a language that was that was designed to be learned as a second language and even was, was proposed to serve as the language of international relations. Is it kind of like a combination of English and, and Spanish? Is that what it was? Uh, it was invented, I think, by a Polish person. And um, I, I don't... Yeah, I'm, I'm looking here. Uh, it's Doctoro Esperanto, the pseudonym under which L.L. L. Zamenhof first published Unua Libro in 1887. Yeah. I did a little, bit of, a little bit of Esperanto research, and I noticed, I saw that <laughs> during the 20s, uh, the fascist regimes really cracked down on people speaking Esperanto, except for the Italians who thought that it sounded a lot like Italian, so they were okay with it. Um, huh. So, so for me, you know, the idea is possibly that there's this person in 1980s America who is doing relatively well for themselves, um, but but because. You know their community is 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 encompassing more people, perhaps people of less means through, you know, communication or the the, the idea was that Esperanto suddenly like the TV's talking in this language that that um, binds people together by ethnic culture and class. Mm-hmm. There's resentment mm-hmm. from the narrator who is upper middle class because he's sending his son to art school. There's, res- there's okay. resentment that he has to now communicate or listen or deal with all these other people. And so he's saying alienations for the rich and I'm feeling poorer because he has to now deal with all these different people that he thought that once he got into maybe a highfalutin suburban lifestyle, he wouldn't have to deal with anymore. Uh-huh. That was that was my interpretation of okay. it. So you're saying you're you're saying that you think the narrator is middle to upper middle class at, at the current state when he's singing the song. That's that's kind of the idea, and that that I think. But he's out of work. Sort of, but I think that the way I interpreted it as a satire was that he's saying, "Well, this is for all you modern day troubadours thinking about, you know, some of these big shot, uh, maybe country artists, because that's the genre in which they're which they're parodying." Um, okay. You know, thinking about these modern day countries, who's like, oh, I'm just a hard drinking, you know, guy who's trying to work in the factory or whatever. But in fact, they're like millionaires and, you know, dr- probably not drinking Miller High Life, but uh, something much more sophisticated and sort of. It is the champagne of beer. It's true. And I, I love me a good high life. Don't get me wrong. But the idea is that it's since it's a parody, it's like this person who has this idea of who they are in their heads uh, while, you know, having conflict with that, you know, the lack of that, that authenticity to that image. Yeah, it's, uh, it definitely could be interpreted, interpreted a lot of ways as with 
pretty much any They Might Be Giants song. But then in typical uh, John's fashion, like you said, they'll pretty much be like, it's just about what it's about. You know, they're not going to, they never explain well, their that, That's ever. That's the hard thing is because, like you said, the opening line is I've got to get, get a job. I've got to get some pay. So, you know, am I ignoring that or am I taking that as like he's, he's, he's being sarcastic? Because um, if you take that literally as if the guy is maybe a working class drunk, uh, that changes the rest of the meaning of the of the song. I, I, I took it as him being sarcastic. Like the, to me, the whole song is very sarcastic. So I, I kind of take what he's saying with a with a, a grain of salt that it's if there's any kernel of truth in it. And you know the the whole um. I'm, uh, oh gosh, let me pull up the lyrics. I can't remember. I know I'm off the top of my head. Uh, I'm working, you know, I'm feeling happy about the state of things in my life, but I'm working to make it better with a six of Miller High Life, just drinking and driving, making sure my dues get paid. And that sounds like if you were going to be like, you know, let's make a parody song about a country, you know, right. and, and country yeah, like a country song. Cause it's most people's like, well, my, my dog died and, my tractor broke and my woman left me. I mean, those are all types of things. And so when he's singing that, like it's, it's to me, it's comical. It's funny. And so, so oh, I, yeah. I, I take the rest of the song as being sort of a, a farce. Yeah. You know, I always thought the line, well, I ain't feeling happy. I always thought of it was, well, I hate feeling yeah. happy, which, which gives it a whole nother, a whole nother meaning. Yes. Um, well, I always thought it was. I always yeah, thought I the like, TV is an Esperanto. I'm like, I've never heard of that brand of television. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Sorny. And it only, it's, a, yeah. <laughs> it's a magnet box. <laughs> it only. It took me. I don't think I learned actually what that line was or meant until maybe I was in college and I revisited the song and I was like, "Is in Esperanto?" I'm like, "What is Esperanto?" Because I'd never heard of it uh-huh. growing up in Dayton, yeah. Ohio. Um, and then it, then the the song's dimension changed entirely again for me. Would would TV in the eighties would there ever be a channel that would put shows in Esperanto? That doesn't seem like no. But that's why I think it's an important detail that like if you're uh-huh. watching a program on television and it's in this like unifying international language uh-huh. and there's a there's uh-huh. a resentment towards it. Like why would you be resentful? towards that because you either don't speak that language or you're mad that other people are being able to communicate with each other. I mean, the TV's talking Spanish to me would, would lend more and maybe 1985, it was different, but would lend more to the idea that this is like some close, maybe a close minded, you know, it's a Reagan supporter. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's get political. Uh, yeah, or or uh, you, you could draw some relations to modern day. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, here. absolutely. Um, Being against immigration, I'm sure this guy doesn't like the immigrants. Yeah, that's that's kind of what that's sort of what he's doing, but it doesn't. It feel you know, it feels like a parody. It doesn't feel like he's trying to right. you know in any way accurately explore that. He's just like, how do I how do I kind of make a funny song? <laughs> Sure. About these people. Yeah, I, I, I talked about this with uh, 
my friend David Britton on the the end of the tour episode. Not necessarily about that song, but we talked about like, are the MIP Giants a funny band? And yes, they are funny, but they're not a novelty joke band. No, not at you know, all. They're they're not out to be comedians, but they do happen to have a lot of hilarious songs. And I think I would call them a darkly comedic band in that most of the stuff I laugh at in their songs is how uh it's like a happy sounding song. They're 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 one of the greatest talents is taking a happy sounding song uh and making it about something very depressing. Sure. Yeah. Would you say uh that they might be giants or maybe on par with like Weird Al? Uh, uh, on par with, well, I mean, they're coming at, so in that, like you're saying that Alienation for the Rich is like a parody of a country song, whereas Weird Al will straight up parody, um, popular songs. I'd say coming at parody from different angles, they're both very, very talented at it. But but like Weird Al doesn't just do like a, a... Uh, a remake of beat it or you know and then say eat it instead make it about food like um dare to be stupid was mocking devo and new wave stuff I don't know if mocking's the right word. I think more like paying homage. Sure, I, I mean, yeah, but that's but but that's sort of what he's he's poking he's poking fun at. And the thing is, he's really good at it. And so I oh, think yeah. you look at they might be giants, and you, you can look at all their early songs. Um, and, and and I say only that because I'm not familiar with the later catalog. But but you listen to to the first bunch of albums, and there's multiple genres sometimes within songs. Yep. And you can hear that a little bit in modern pop music where they're like, oh, this is supposed to be like a Latin thing. But but it's not always done very well. And you can listen to Weird Al or They Might Be Giants and they're like, man, they just absolutely nailed it. And the Weird Al stuff is really complex as well. He is a great musician. Absolutely. And and I think... People don't give him credit yeah, for bec- how talented he is. Because he makes... You know some of these goofy songs, and people are like, "Oh, ha ha, what a what a joke!" And then you know you try to maybe play it or you study it, and you're going, "Man, this guy, this guy really knows what he's doing." And so I wonder, you know, they might be giants isn't like you said a a, a funny band in that they're trying to be like a comedy band. Like you wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't necessarily, and I don't know if they have been, but you wouldn't necessarily see them like. As part of a comedy variety show, right? But they would do a theme song for something like didn't they do Malcolm yeah. in the Middle? They did that one, right? Yep. And they did. Oh, yeah. um, they did. Uh, yeah, Boss of Me. The that became the theme song. Yeah. And they did. Didn't they do a second one like, a, like for a cartoon? I think so. I think they did the theme for the Oblongs. Okay. If I'm remembering correctly, uh, they they also contributed maybe more than one song to the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Yeah, recently. Yeah, 
Um, I don't think I've heard those. But yeah, and I mean, they've done songs for Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, they're they're not, um, I don't think they believe in the concept of selling out. I mean, they want to make a living, and they're going to have fun no matter what, uh, you know, whether it's a song for Dunkin' Donuts or the or the a theme song. They're going to take it seriously, and they're going to make it one of their own songs. They're not going to, um, they're not going to conform, man, and sure. make it some mainstream song just to uh, make money. They're, they're no matter what they do, they are, them, they might be giants. Absolutely, absolutely. They, and I think that thing. you know, you listen to them, or or you know, Weird Al. Like if we're if we're hanging on that comparison, you hear any of their stuff, and they they can take a genre or a style. Do it well, but you listen to it and you're like, oh, that's a They Might Be Giant song or that's a yep. Weird Al song. You know, they're very distinct in how they present the material that, you know, I think even if you have a cursory knowledge of, of either artist, you know what you're listening to. Kara is texting me from upstairs and said they did a song for an HGTV show. Is she listening too? Is she, can she hear you? I think... <laughs> I think she's upstairs. Are you up there? Is Zinnia up? No. She's listening in on the, my side of this conversation. Weird Houses? There was a show about Weird Houses that they did. You won't believe your eyes. You can dream it. Then you'll see it. It's amazing. Like for this being my f- my favorite band, I keep coming across songs that I've never heard before. Like their output is just yeah. overwhelming. Yeah, it's hard to keep track of. It's crazy. The uh, they might be giants wiki has um, you can if you if you create a account on it, which doesn't cost anything, <clears throat> you can score songs and then it ranks them like among the other scores that users have given mm-hmm, the songs mm-hmm. and they have let me see song ratings according to this which which it's a little inflated because um they also list demo versions and if a live version has been released so there's some songs that are doubles but they have over 800 songs released if the song's been released it's in the database so they have there's some doubles, like I said, demo versions and live versions, but they have released over 800 songs. So looking at the careers of like Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen, do you think that They Might Be Giants are more prolific than either of those artists? Yes. I don't know how many songs Springsteen has out. I mean, he's got a lot, and so does Dylan. Dylan has, I mean, he's yep. released all his bootleg sure. discs and stuff like that. I don't know what their raw total is. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, Dylan has a 20-year leg up on They Might Be That's Giants. true, but I'm still wondering if he's got started. 800, more than 800 songs released. How many Bob Dylan songs are there? <laughs> Let's see if this comes up with an answer. Um, finding a whole bunch of different numbers, but I don't know if... Uh, Ranking all of Bob Dylan's songs from number one to number three hundred and fifty-nine, so they might be giants have five hundred more songs than Bob Dylan. in twenty in twenty 
less years, 20 fewer years too. Yeah. I mean, dial a song really knocks that number up a lot because, uh, like this year, they're doing Dial a Song again. They're releasing a song every week for the entire year. Now, some of those are just like new videos made for their their album that came out in January. Yeah. I like fun, but that album is only like fifteen songs. They've released. I don't. I mean, we're pretty far into the year, but they've released like forty songs this year. Just this year. Yeah. So that's nuts. And I mean, their songs are very short, typically. Um, but their songs, I mean, even a short song takes time to write and record. Yeah. It's crazy. It's not like they're just playing it on a a one minute song on an acoustic guitar. And, you know, it's the stuff is very difficult. What they, what they lack in length, they make up in complexity. Yeah. Okay. How many Bruce Springsteen songs are there? 318. So again, they might be giants have five hundred more. Beat, songs. They beat both of them combined. What's they that? Have more they, songs yeah, they beat than, both than of them. Dylan and Springsteen combined. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah, and they started in nineteen eighty two, where Dylan started in like nineteen sixty two, and Springsteen started in like seventy two. I don't yeah. know. I mean, they both have quite a big. Uh, they had a head start on them, and uh, does any. Can anyone best them in the sheer number of songs? Any anybody? Uh, I. Uh, they should be in the Guinness Book of World Records. The most songs written by a band. The only person I can think of is, uh, gosh, um, Irving Berlin. That's the only person I could think of that maybe. Yeah. Is close. Who wrote "Putting on the Ritz"? <laughs> and God bless America. Uh huh. Okay, so Kara found out that uh, the show they wrote the theme song for was called Amazing Vacation Homes on the Travel Channel. They wrote an updated theme song for America's Most Wanted. They also they didn't write the Daily Show theme song, but the version that was played on John Stewart's Daily Show was was performed by them. It was written by Bob Mould of Husker Du, but They Might Be Giants did an updated version of it. So Irving Berlin, uh, according to the Songwriters Hall of Fame, has over a thousand songs. Oh, wow. You know, I bet Woody Guthrie uh, has more songs as well. Um, Not recorded songs, though. I believe Woody Guthrie in his time, I mean, recording was a lot more difficult back then but i believe he only recorded maybe a hundred songs but he's he is known to have written over a thousand songs over three thousand songs guthrie yeah three thousand holy jesus okay so some people have bested they might be giants but in the modern era i think they they're probably topping it man we are really getting uh off on a tangent here this uh this song is two this song is two and a half minutes and we've talked for 50 minutes and, and only for two minutes about the song. <laughs> <laughs> a little more than that. So I sent you some uh, links yes. to some covers. Um, yeah. Well, actually, the first one I want to talk about is not a cover, but there was um, the They Might Be Giants 1985 promotional demo tape number one uh, is a, and I'm just finding out about this, and all this little trivia I'm um, this podcast is a good excuse to become even more obsessed with my favorite band. Um, it was 
three songs, this demo tape, Put Your Hand Inside the Puppet Head, Youth Culture Killed My Dog, and Nothing's Gonna Change My Clothes. Yeah. But what, what people are guessing is that um, before they had sent out this demo tape, they had they had recorded these songs over top of an old tape, and the tape happened to have some backing tracks that they would use for their live show. So if you listen past the intended demos, there are five more songs that are just the backing tracks. And uh, and I'm in a band, Outdoor Valor, which now it's a five-piece, but we were a duo that used, used backing tracks. So this was pretty interesting to me to hear Alienations for the Rich rhythm section instrumental version. Yeah. I'm going to drop a little clip in here. I don't think most people will find it as interesting as me, but uh, it's kind of cool stuff that's never been intentionally properly released. Uh, so it's got Alienations for the Rich with just the little drum machine and the bass. Which was more more interesting than like you know something that's going to get repeated listens. But I thought that was that's kind of a cool little tidbit of the Might Be Giants trivia, unintended released uh, backing tracks that they would use for their live show. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about proper covers. Uh, this um, older gentleman playing the banjo, he does a take on Alienations for the Rich, and one of my favorite parts of it is the introduction. He goes for like a whole minute before he even starts singing. Um, basically playing, you know, finger-picked banjo and working the melody of the song in with the chords in his finger-picking. What did you think of this banjo cover by a guy who goes, uh, the YouTube channel is Lincoln Five String. What did you think about it? Um, I was kind of hoping it was just going to be an instrumental. I, I liked the opening so much yeah. that I was kind of hoping that's where the rest of the song was going to go. Um, you know, I think. But then he opened his yapper. <laughs> I think some of these covers prove just how incredibly difficult it is to cover the MIP Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, but it was, it, it was, um, you know, it was all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy, he doesn't, he isn't as expressive with his voice uh, as Flansburg is, but, uh, you know, he does fine. But yeah, the, the instrumental element of it, I think, is my favorite. So so when I was looking on YouTube, there were plenty of covers of this song. I found a lot of acoustic guitar covers. Um, sure. and there, are quite, yeah. there are quite a for, quite a few ukulele covers. This one I thought was the most interesting. Um, 
The YouTube user's name is Phoebes, P-H-E-E-B-Z, guessing your name is Phoebe or something. Uh, this video here uh, came up as one of the top searches when I put in uh, Alienations for the Rich cover, uh, even though it only has 121 views. Um, it is a woman with a very interesting look to her. She's got uh, these big earrings on. She's got a lip piercing. She's got an interesting uh, shirt and a little... Uh, hat on so she's doing a ukulele cover get a job. i've got to get some pay my son's gonna go to art school he's leaving in three days and the tv is esperanto you know that that's a bitch but alienations for the rich and i'm reeling up for every day Hey, hey, hey. Well, I ain't feeling happy about the state of things in my life. But I'm working to make it better with a six of Miller High Line. Just drinking and a driving. Her ukulele's a little out of tune, but I liked her voice. What'd you think about this one? It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. We're, we're allowed to. To bash people, she's never going to listen to this podcast. If you well, want to let her have it, let her I have mean, it. It was it, like, like I said, it, I think it it shows how difficult it is to cover. They might be giants in a way that comes close to how they might be giants performs the song. I mean, like I could probably do a cover of this and. We have done a cover of this. Yeah, I mean, but but like I could sit down in front of my computer and someone would probably listen to me like, that was okay. Because you can't, <laughs> it's it's sort of one of those, I think They Might Be Giants is kind of one of those bands that um, you can't, maybe it's tough to touch as, a, as an artist who does covers. Uh, yeah. And especially certain songs, like I don't know that I would sing a bunch of David Bowie songs, like... There's I certain, did a Bowie tribute, and it was hard as hell. Yeah. And so, you know, I, 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 it wasn't like I listened to this and I was like, wow, what a tremendous take on this song. It was like, oh, somebody learned the chords to it and sang along to the chords. Like and, that's, and these that were the was, best I could find. Really? Like even, yeah. even the guys with the acoustic guitars, they, they didn't? There's a guy who's playing with a, uh, a dobro or, you know, a metal-bodied guitar. and he does some cool picking to it, but his singing is horribly out of key. So, I mean, we could drop in a little bit of that if you like. It's uh, It was pretty tough to listen to. And a lot of guys just, just doing it straight up. So, l- like you said, you know, I mean, you just you learn the chords and you sing it. Uh, you know, it's fine. It's a fun song to play, and I could see why so many people want to learn it. Um, the thing is, is that, that there's a sarcasm to how he sings it that people aren't putting into their voice. And I think that that as much as the melody or the chords are a part of the song, I think that is a part of the song as well. You know what? Let me, let, let me send you a link to one more. This one I was debating about um, sending you. This guy might, I think, fulfill your, uh, your um, want for sarcasm his his take vocally is pretty um 
Okay, here, I'm going to send you this link and just get into a little bit of it and tell me what you think or, or skip through you know you could listen to the the ending he really he really gets going you know he tries to channel flansburg in it i think pretty well hey folks willie pat here i don't take myself too seriously so i hope you don't either but uh this song pretty much sums up my life right now this is by they might be giants it's called uh alienations for the rich well, this song is dedicated to all you modern day troubadours out there and i think i know who you are You know, if someone did that at like an open mic, I'd probably be like, "That was that was pretty cool." Like, yeah, like I mean, that, this guy's name is William William Chuss. Yeah, by the way, I mean, I, th- I think he does a, a pretty good a pretty good take on that because there's there's an attitude and sarcasm that comes with the song, and if you're right. just if you're playing it like Pete Seeger, the whole meaning of the tune is lost. I think. So this guy, he goes for it. I think he gets. I think he gets the song. Yeah. It's it's a pretty straight up cover of it, but you can tell that he likes the song and I think he gets it. Yeah, so, I agree. Um good on him. Yeah. So that ha- that uh, that does it for the covers I wanted to let you hear. Um the one thing we didn't uh get into yet was they might be giants doing this live and I think it's pretty interesting to hear stuff from the duo era done live like how do they adapt it? And on the tour for Nanobots, their album that came out in 2013, they were also doing their entire, uh, this first album uh, in its entirety on that tour. And they released it um, for free. I just got it last night. They released it for free. um, What's the site? Rough Noise? Uh, You can get it for free. And did you get a chance to listen to this version? I didn't. I didn't. Um, but I can throw it on now and just kind of bounce through it. Yeah, I wanted to know what you thought about Flansburg's uh, vocal performance because I feel like he's maybe a little lazy with it. It was kind of disappointing when I heard it because he doesn't. I mean, maybe in his older age, uh, he can't really rip his throat out like he did in his twenties. Sure. Give it, a, give it a little listen. Well, I am feeling happy about the state of things in my life, but I'm working to make it better with a six of Miller High Life. Just drinking and driving, making sure my dues get paid because alienation's for the rich. Well, I 
the chorus transitions to the next verse <laughs> yeah it's so great <laughs> i like hearing the live drummers do uh the old stuff that's one of the most interesting things for me <laughs> play it son what do you think about flansburg's vocals vocals i mean i think his first two verses are are pretty good uh, we'll see what happens when he opens up here I don't think he gives it the draw that he does in the uh, the Elm version, though. So I think you know, to me, that's that's how he sounds ninety eight percent of the time, like that kind of yeah, uh, that kind of high whiny voice, um, <laughs> you know, kind of kind of high nasally, like yeah, uh, which which <laughs> which is what makes which is what distinguishes him, and I like it. And but when you listen to the Alienation original recording. It sounds almost like somebody else, like he's taking on he's right. taking on a character, and it's he's really just becoming something else as opposed to they did that a lot in their early days, not as much anymore. Yeah, and so I don't think you know I, I, it's definitely different, but I think it's still very much they might be giants. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a bad version, but um, he, you know, he, I guess he does a modern they might be giants spin on it i could i could see that if he were to do that live and try to do it as he did on a recording he might blow his voice out and like ruin the rest of the show yeah the middle of the tour is is ruined canceled uh on the the wiki it says there's only 27 known performances of this song wow and for it being one that they performed on their very first show so it's always been in their uh you know, their discography, their songography, whatever you want to call it, for them to only have performed it 27, ti- 27 times. And if they were doing it every night on this Nanobots tour, they must not have played it very much back in the day, which to me, it seems like this song is very doable live for them. Uh, it's not the weirdest instrumentation. No. You know, Flansburg, Flansburg on acoustic guitar, you know. Linnell on accordion and then a drum machine. I think it's I think it's one of the most exciting recorded performances of it though, of of, of they might be giant songs. Like there, there's nothing with that type of energy and and bombacity mm-hmm. if that's a real word. Uh, and so sure. may, maybe he maybe he listens back to it. He's like I can't do it like the recording, so I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But that's, to me, like, if I were in his position, we had this just incredible performance. I'm like, I cannot replicate this every night. Maybe we'll just not do it. Right, right. Yeah, The uh, I haven't listened through the entirety of this live album, but uh, it's pretty good. And, yeah, people can get it for free on... Uh, on the song no- or on the site noisetrade.com. Um, so any final thoughts. We've 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 covered alienations for the rich pretty well. We've been going over an hour. Uh 
I think this is going to be the longest episode to date. We, we've bypassed the Dr. Worm episode, which was over an hour. Um, well, it can be edited down, I think. I don't know. There's a lot of, a lot of juicy tidbits here. A lot of good opinions. A lot of uh, speculation. <laughs> uh, well, that's what's fun about doing this podcast. Uh, a- a- any final thoughts? I think we pretty well covered it. A- anything else? No, I, I mean, I always, I've always liked this song, and, and I always thought it was kind of weird and unusual, and it's still something that I haven't completely figured out yet, and that's the beauty of uh-huh. this song and the beauty of They Might Be Giants as a band. Totally. So uh, one thing, I don't think I, I told you about this, and kind of intentionally, but I'm going to make you score the song. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm going to make you score this song. And it's clear that you like it, but on a scale of 1 to 10, and you can use, I've decided that since they might be giants, are a uh, scientific, science. they appreciate science, they appreciate mathematics, that you can use fractions, decimals, anything between 1 and 10. Okay. 10 being like, this is a, if you're going to make a a Hall of Fame to the Giants, this would be... Uh one of the, one of the songs on the biggest, on the wall. Um, Yeah, you could say it's. I mean, I think most people are taking it as Am I compared score? to the rest of their catalog, not necessarily okay. like compared against the greatest songs by you know, say of all time. Right. Um, Though you could think of it that way. You, you know, know, it's it's hard because like "Flood" as an album is incredible, song for song. This their their eponymous album is an incredible album for song for song, and and to me. This has always been one of those songs that I will listen to over and over again and never get tired of. You know, I'd say I'd say it's like I'd say it's like probably like a, a nine. All right. And I mean, there's 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 a fluctuation of decimal points within between like probably eight and a half and ten <laughs> that I would that I would, I would attribute to other songs, but this has always been one of my favorites yeah. um, from when I was a kid to now. Like I never listened to it. I'm like this, I don't want to listen to this one again. Like I would, Skip. I think when we were, when we were learning it, yeah. I just would put it on repeat. And as I drive back and forth in Lafayette, I would just listen to this song on repeat and it never got old and it never gets old. And for me, I don't think it ever will. Yeah. So the best song they've ever wrote, maybe not, but definitely one of, I think, the all-time greats. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're giving it a nine. I, I've got a really tough job here, being that I will be on every episode of this podcast. Right. Now, um, I gave Dr. Worm a 10. That is one of my favorite They Might Be Giants songs and always has been since it came out. Um, but I can't give everything a 10. It would be meaningless. Um, so comparing it against other songs and thinking about me having to rank this in the future, I, I don't know if there's any that might be giant songs that I downright hate. There's some that, you know, I'm not that crazy about. So comparing it to ones that I, I'm not crazy about, ones that I like, ones that I really like, ones that I love. I'd say this is one that I like, but I'm not going to... If I made a playlist of my favorite They Might Be Giant songs of all time, this might not make it. 
I mean, I, I'm I'm gaining a better appreciation of it through doing this podcast, um, doing this episode with you, and you've had some very convincing arguments to as to why it's one of the greatest songs. But I'm going to give it a seven point nine, so nearly an eight. Could, now seven point nine, see that. That, it, it, it's a good score. I like the song, but thinking for me down the road doing this podcast, I I I got to give some, you know, sub eight songs so this one almost gets to an eight so i'm gonna give it a 7.9 you gave it yep i'll I'll agree i'll I'll, i can i can see that because if you're gonna if you're gonna give somebody who's never heard of they might be giants a list of 10 songs and you're like here is a cross section of they might be giants i i agree with you i probably wouldn't put this song on there but like if you know they might be giants and like you've heard a lot of their stuff like to me I think it ranks up there, but I, I would I respect a seven point nine rating on this. So, so in in a ten song playlist for for a beginner, you wouldn't put it on it. But if it were a ten song playlist for you for your consumption to listen to on a road trip, would it make that top ten? Yeah, absolutely. All right, because it's one of those ones that if you're on a road, you can just scream <laughs> in the car yeah. and and let all your frustration about the ills of the world come out. <laughs> Yeah, it can be very well applied to the Trump era. So with that, I say we wrap up this episode. It sure. uh, is very long. Um, so, Mr. Matt Monta, let's let's go ahead and plug your band while we're at it before we get out of yeah. here. Uh, earlier this year, you put out, uh, with your band, Matt Monta and the Haymakers, you put out an album called Restless Disposition, which is a yes. very, very solid album that I quite Thank enjoy. You. Uh, Thank and you very much. I would like to play up to you a full song or just a clip if you want um, sure. of a song off this album absolutely what what should we let uh, the listeners hear what song um well i think uh probably president's face would be a would be a good song it's a little bit a little bit weird that sounds like it could be the mip giants song title president's yeah. face <laughs> but but theirs would be very take a lot of different forms and be very unusual and a lot lot more intelligent than mine, I think. <laughs> Don't downplay your own song. Let's listen to President's Face. Do you want me to play the whole thing or just a clip? Yeah, play the whole thing. All righty. Here's President's Face by Matt Monta and the Haymakers.
listen to this newer thing yet you put out would you call this a sing uh, a, a single deflecting blame and the night you put out just in september yeah we we uh, i wrote a song before we moved to richmond and i was like i really want to record this and there was another tune i wanted to do so uh you know we got together worked on it and, and got a couple days in the studio uh, and pounded it out. So deflecting blame is on Spotify. The night is on is on Bandcamp, and that's. I mean, you can go to mattmonta.com and and sort of get all the stuff there. You've got both of them on Bandcamp here. That's correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Everyone should go to uh, mattmonta.bandcamp.com. You can find all of his stuff. Uh, you've been going for quite a while. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Your first album from 2013. There's there, there's a lot of stuff here that I think people should uh, go check out. Uh, where can people nice. find you on uh, on on the web and on the social medias? Where should people go to check you out more? Uh, you find me on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I use Twitter about once every six weeks. Uh, if they and my website Monta, is, will they find you? Yes, mattmonta.com is my website and so there's links to everything on there my instagram handle is matt monta my twitter handle is matt monta um my facebook page is matt monta you're lucky that you've got a um a not so common name to uh i know be able to grab all these uh urls and usernames yeah it's it's very fortunate yeah so everyone uh in the uh I'm assuming we'll have a very, very fervent fan base for this podcast by the time this episode airs. I don't doubt it. But everyone in the uh, This Might Be a Podcast universe, you should all go check out Matt Monta. And uh, Matt, thanks for being on. And I will see you for further episodes. It looks like we're going to do... we're going to do She's an Angel. We're going to do Rabid Child. We're going to do... I believe you had one off of Flood. Hot Cha. So uh, we'll see you again for those episodes. Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. If you want to donate to the Patreon, patreon.com slash this might be a podcast. I'm trying not to beg too much, but uh, this thing's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of work. And I'm about two months ahead in episodes, uh, tacking on these mailbags and these credits. Uh, follow us on Twitter at this might be a pod. Like us on Facebook. Uh, this might be a podcast. Email us at this might be a pod at gmail and call our voicemail. It's uh, what the hell is it? Two two four eight zero one two nine three zero, and we'll see you all next week. Well, I ain't feeling happy. 
about the state of things in my life. 